It's Monday the 30th of March 2020. My name's Alex Elliott, and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened, and why we should care. Now, in the third week of our COVID-19 coronavirus specials, we are joined today by Olaf Ragnarsdottir, a broadcast journalist with Ruv, but first, by Maur Kristjánsson, the Chief Physician of the Infectious Diseases Board at Landspitali University Hospital in Reykjavik. So, uh, Maur Christiansen, uh, am I right in translating it as a senior physician with the Infectious Diseases Department at Landspitali? Yes. Um, I spoke to your colleague Magnus last week um, about how things were going with the reaction to the COVID-19 outbreak in Iceland. Uh, this weekend we went over a thousand cases for the first time. Yes, yeah. Does that mean anything? How is it going? Well, I, I think it's uh, just going according to plan. I mean, the predictions were that we were going to go up to, um, what is it, 2,500, 3,000 cases. Um, and uh, we would be peaking in the... Uh, the early early times of April, maybe around seventh or tenth. So I, I think um, if you if you uh, align the um, the numbers to to the sort of the projection, I think we're just there. Okay. So the the, the, the I won't call it a plan, but the uh, the forecast is is standing yeah, so far. Yeah. yeah. The, the forecast is is such that. So we're hoping that we're, we're going to be. Um, Peaking, like I say, in the early early uh, hours of of April, and then hopefully uh, by mid May we should be, you know, ha- put this behind us, if that's um, if that's possible at all. I mean, it, it all depends on. I mean, we're obviously part of an international society, and the way things are going in in Great Britain and in the in the USA is obviously going to affect um, us. Now, that that entails when are the authorities here going to lift up the, um, you know, the, the restrictions on, of, on movement to other countries. So, but if, 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 uh, if the restrictions are in place, then uh, we don't have more influx of cases, then I think maybe it, it, it should subside in the early, early weeks of May. Um, when you say subside, that doesn't mean that everyone's lives goes back to normal straight away, does it? What would the sort of the process be of getting back to normal? Well, um, I think um, you know the uh, the authorities probably little by little will lift the restriction of uh, on our sort of um, movements within our society. That's number one, and I think uh, schools should should be opening up. You know, maybe in the in, in the in late April, early May, I, I would imagine, and then um, um, I, I'm not sure about the you know bans on international flights. That's going to uh, sort of reflect some of the, on the situation in in the countries around us. Um, so so a lot of things are sort of in the. Uh, in, in fog right now, but, but uh, I'm hoping this is going to, going to be um, happening sort of um, little by little as, as we go, go into the summer months. When it comes to uh, specifically the assembly ban, uh, the, the 
the ban on more than 20 people gathering, that's obviously having probably the most effect on people's yeah. lives right now. How do you see that being lifted? Well, I, I think, um, you know, as, as the, uh, the number of cases in the society and, and the, the sense that we're sort of curtailing this, I think that would uh, open up some of the, you know, like restaurants and, uh, um, and um, you know, uh, the, the various institutions of our society. Now, whether they're going to be um, in, uh, increasing the, the, the number of people uh, allowed to assemble, um, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how, how the, the technical details are going to be in, in that. that. But, and, and I've been thinking about it. I mean, how, how, do you, how do you reverse something like this? I mean, and uh, it would make sense that, that you would, if, if it is in the society, because you have to remember that a lot of the people in society are still susceptible to the disease. And, and even though 3,000 people, that's only like 1% uh, of the population. So 99% are still susceptible. So, so you have to do this gingerly so to make, make sure that you don't lose control of the whole thing again. Uh, what does that look like? Because until we've got, for example, a vaccination, like you say, 99% of people are susceptible. Why wouldn't it just come back at full force? Well, I, I think th there are several things we don't know, and one is that if, um, if with the rising temperature um, coming into the summer months, we don't know how that's going to affect the, the, tr the transmissibility of the virus. Uh, now, why why is it that the viruses get around in the cold months? Is it because of the uh, the, the the cold weather and its effect on on the mucous membranes? And I, we don't. I don't think we understand this to the full extent. So we're hoping that during the summertime, this is this is actually th that's going to be in our advantage. Now, um, I, I, and I think that's sort of the main thing that we have. Uh, and now, obviously, we're going to have some more uh, information about um, you know the various therapeutics, uh, be it antivirals, uh, the chloroquine and, and hydroxychloroquine, how these. Are they are they working? You know, and there are currently proper studies being uh, undertaken in b both the UK and and uh, and other countries. Uh, so hopefully, with data, we're going to be able to sort of uh, um, tailor our therapies better than we've been able to do so far. On that subject, there's been announced just today, I think, or maybe yesterday, that Alvagen is going to be giving 50,000 doses of this anti-malarial uh, drug to Landspitali. Yeah. How do you react to that? Is that well, a big thing? Yeah, I think it's a big thing. It's a very generous gift, obviously. And uh, now, when we when we were in, talking to Alvagen about this, uh, they, they sort of offered it whether this was a, a good thing to do. And, and at the time, we thought that uh, I mean, this was one of the best drugs that we had. Now, we're, we're still looking for the data to support it, uh, you know, in a, in a rigorous scientific manner. And um, hopefully um, the data is going to show us that it, it, it does really help. Now, we don't think it's, it's harming people. Uh, so if, if the data supports more widespread use of the medication, then having 50,000 doses is obviously going to uh, change uh, our way of dispensing this to, to maybe less sick people. And hopefully that can sort of um, uh, reduce the further spread. 
And how is the hospital holding up, given the fact that we've got a fairly high number of cases per capita in the population more generally, uh, but luckily, so far, only two deaths. Uh, how is the hospital holding up? I think uh, so far the hospital is holding up quite well. Um, now, we have, um, uh, I think, 11 cases uh, in the intensive care that are requiring um, res you know, respiratory support. Now, uh, and we've uh, undertaken some, um, um, you know, extensive job to, to, to sort of figure out how to expand it further. And, and I, I don't think we have used, you know, we're, we're sort of up to half of our capacity, at least sort of immediate capacity. So I think we're holding up well. Now, you have to remember that even though we're having uh, more uh, ICU cases, um, per capita than we sort of, well, th that's in line with our more, most pessimistic projections. Um, you know, admissions to the hospitals are actually less than the pessimistic projections. Mm -hmm. so, so I think uh, other things that we're doing, like with the COVID walk-in clinic, we're actually diverting people from, from hospitalization on that, that end of the spectrum. So, so that gives us a little bit more leeway on the other spectrum, end of the spectrum. So I, I, think, I think we're holding out pretty well so far, but you know, obviously we can't do this forever, so, so, but so far so good. And when people do come in sick with this disease, on average, sort of how long do they stay in hospital before they can go home? Well, um, if, if you look at the data from China, uh, it all depends on how sick you are. So if, if, you're, if you have to be on a respirator, that's usually in the weeks, you know, two, three weeks. Um, but um, our experience is, I mean, we've admitted about 30 people, uh, 20 of which have been on a regular ward, and they, they stay about, you know, five, six days on, on average. Uh, what's next? We've got Easter coming up and things. Obviously, it's going to be very different this year to most years. How do you see uh, things changing in the next uh, week or two? Well, I think w one of the challenges with Easter is that um, traditionally people have been more outside, you know, so people travel, they go to their um, cottages or they go into inland. Uh, so I I'm a little bit concerned about more movement of people traffic accidents, um, outdoor accidents. And that could be quite a challenge for our, our system. Um, I mean, the uh, um, casualties and, and emergency center has been in the, in the, um, in the, in, in Fosfor, where we are now sort of focusing our COVID um, treatment. So, so that could be a challenge because now if, if we had like a, 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 a big accident with, um, 10, 15 people, then we would have to utilize um, our campus at, at Ringbrit, which is not, is not geared uh, um, to, to take care of these big accidents, you know. So, so there, there, might, there might be some challenges there, uh, and, and I think that's the greatest challenge. Uh, on the other hand, I think uh, the staff, which usually wants to be away during, <laughs> during Easter holidays, uh, are going to be, you know, more, more working in the hospital. So, uh, in, in that sense, I think we're we're seeing brighter times. Mm. So, so it's a combination of of things. Obviously, things change very quickly. Uh, we can't say for sure, but there's no 
strengthening of the bands foreseen that people will still be able to travel at Easter if they want to, if they keep two metres away? And Yeah, well, well, I think if you're within a family, I mean, uh, obviously, you know, two, two and two in a car, for example. Uh, and I mean, I, I'm not sort of, um, I'm not saying that I want people to be travelling. I, I, I just, this is sort of what I think is going to happen. But obviously there is the ban uh, on, on mass gatherings or more than 20 people. Uh, but, and hopefully people are going to um, sort of um, honor that, um, the, those, those stipulations, but, and, and keeping two meters apart, hopefully. But, but you know, you never know. Yeah. Uh, just quickly before we finish, how do you account for the differences in the way different countries are reacting? Obviously, it seems to seems to me that Sweden and Denmark are two very opposite examples of reaction. And also, where does Iceland lie on that spectrum? Well, I think we're more on the Danish side, uh, but but uh, because uh, I mean, in, in Sweden, it seems to me that they they were not as restrictive in in terms of. Um, um, mass gatherings and and, and closing of, of companies, so so I, I think we're more on the Danish side. But but I think uh, I, I I do think that we were more preemptive in our response uh, than any of these countries in the in the Scandinavia, um, being that um, uh, we were we had started our preparations uh, before our first case, and we were we had um, done. Um, preparatory changes within our hospital system you know before so we were prepared when it happened mm. and I think uh, uh, we've been quicker to to sort of mold our hospital system to to tackle this this foe so I I, I, I do believe that I'm actually hoping that we're going to be able to manage this in a better way than the these countries so far, so good. And plenty of uh, testing swabs available. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, the, the last uh, testing pins. Uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be a... That's going to be a story for the aromatoscope. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, at least it was a case of finding more than you thought you had, rather than the opposite. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. Olaf Ragnarsdottir, thank you for your time today. Um, what's going on? <laughs> Obviously, I think there's probably just one answer, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, it looks like it's just still spreading around the world. Still, Europe and the United States are kind of uh, the epicenters now. So, what? Well, it's actually, I mean, so my shift starts at 8.30, uh, but our program, TV program is at 7.00 in the evening. So usually it's um, not possible to, like when we have our first meeting in the morning to say, oh, listen, at seven o'clock, this is what we're gonna do. Because you just have to kind of see how the day goes and what will be the biggest story of the day. Because it changes so fast every single day. And we're still constantly trying to like evaluate what we should uh, tell people about, what we should, uh, what we have to like pass on for today. That's probably the hardest part, I think. 
And I, I guess online news, the website, has never been more important because, like you say, people aren't waiting all day until seven o'clock. Yeah, exactly. And you can, it's it's evident how much, you know, people are reading the news these days. You can see, uh, I've never seen numbers that I'm seeing now up, up on the on the web and, and of course also um, uh, radio and TV like people are they want to know what's happening and they want to know it fast and we're trying our very best to you know put information out there as fast as we can and like uh, talk to our specialists and so we can have the best not just have uh, information out there fast but also good factual information because that's also a big problem actually you know disinformation and fake news that's i think uh, the director of uh, who said like a month ago or so that uh, that's actually uh, as um, you know i mean as important as uh, i mean the disease itself like the spreading of the disease and spreading of fake news and disinformation it can cause so much harm what kind of, um, I mean, has there been a lot of this fake news going around in Iceland that you're aware of, or has it been mostly overseas? I'm sure it, there has been, but I, I don't think it's it has been, I mean, at least not uh, what I have seen, um, that harmful. I think it's more, uh, more, I don't know, yeah, not as harmful, but it hasn't been really... Um, evident i guess but i'm i'm sure it has been like on social media and and stuff like that i've seen a lot of like advice and tips that turn out not to be true that sort of thing but that's different yeah. i guess yeah 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 people t- uh, who think they know better than the experts i mean everyone is i guess everyone is just trying to you know live this new reality and people are scared and they're nervous which is completely normal but uh, I think if we just uh, tune in and see what our experts are saying every single day then uh, and try to live by that we should do us I mean well not of course some people will get this disease and but hopefully then a uh, less number of people will and the and at least maybe the the people who are vulnerable that's the most important that they that they are safe now every country is dealing with this in their own way there's differences here and there um what impression are you getting where does iceland sit on the spectrum of of reactions to the coronavirus because you're in both worlds you're in the newsroom you're dealing with the foreign press every day what what's the impression you're getting of iceland's response Actually, it looks like uh, we're really popular right now. Uh, we're getting a lot of requests from other um, newsrooms around the world that want to chat with uh, someone here. Like we today, we had requests from both um, the Netherlands and Israel. They want to chat with someone about the situation here. And you can see that our specialists have been interviewed by one of the biggest uh, stations in the world, like in America. The the other Nordic countries have also been really interested in what we're doing here. So as of now, at least, it looks like we're doing a pretty good job compared to other nations. And I think, I mean, Right now, there's uh, 1,020 cases, I think, confirmed here. 
and the people who are working to trace every single infection, you know, the team, they're still working day and night, I guess, and they have traced every single one except from 77 or something, which is incredible. It is, it is. But, I mean, 1,020 cases in a 350,000 population is, is high still, isn't it? It is really high, but... As we have said, and as the specialists have said, um, that also can be explained by the number of tests that we are doing. I think there are 15,000 now, which is also a lot, like 4% of the nation have been tested. I think I think it's uh, safe to say that it's the highest in the world. So that also gives us a better idea. Because, you know, 1,000 people infected and there are two that's confirmed one of which is not like a hundred percent confirmed by COVID-19 but most likely so that's also very low for uh, the number of cases if you look at in comparison in comparison with other countries okay so the Icelandic reaction is going relatively well but what about the people people are we've been on lockdown getting on for three weeks now starting the third week how is the reaction uh, at home? Um, I think, judging by what the, the experts and their guests have been saying at the daily meetings, is that in the beginning, you know, people were uh, calm and, and now they're feeling that it's getting a, people are getting a bit riled up. Like, it's been weeks now. Uh, I don't know, two, three weeks? It's hard. <laughs> Time is uh, not really... It's hard to assess these days, but yeah, so people are getting a bit anxious like from staying at home and and we're still trying to, I think, figure out what you can actually do and what you can't do. And uh, and we here at the newsroom are trying our best to, um, to uh, tell people what exactly it is. And I think <laughs> tonight or... or in, Tomorrow there will be uh, one story about that, like w- how to behave in the supermarket when you go outside and for a walk in a park and there are a lot of other people there. What should you do? So, etc. We're still trying to uh, figure out h- how exactly to behave. But uh, around me, at least, I feel that people are very aware and they try to do their best and people who are supposed to be quarantined they just are quarantined and you you can't go to the store and get groceries you have to get someone to do it for you or order it online so i think people are are getting the hang of it and i feel like companies and and like artists like there there have been concerts a lot of them actually online and like so people can get and here at the roof I see where there's a, a, like a new show every day. Um, I think the target audience is children that have to stay at home and can't go to school. So I feel like uh, also the channels like the TV channels and and everyone we're, are trying to kind of like meet people like uh, find the needs of this these strange times like what what do what can we do to help people cope yeah. i mean it is horrible on one hand but on the other hand 
you know, we're warm and comfortable. Luckily, we don't have any shortages at the moment, and we've got the internet, and it could be a lot worse, couldn't it? Yeah, and that's that's a really good point, and one that we should not forget. We are extremely lucky to be here in Iceland at this moment. Like, I was in Lebanon um, in the beginning of March, and there, there are a lot of refugees camps there. They have uh, millions of Syrian refugees, they have Palestinian refugees, and I just, I I can't, I don't really want to think about what will happen there when the virus starts spreading. So yeah, we're really lucky. Um, closer to home, I spoke this time last week to Stigur Helgason, and he said that the atmosphere in the newsroom was strange, uh, different, and that obviously this was the one story, but that they were trying to concentrate a little bit on other stories as well, because, you know, the world isn't come to a complete standstill. What's changed since last week? Is it still weird, or are you getting used to it now? <laughs> I think we're getting more used to it now, actually. And uh, to have the meetings, like we have meetings twice a day, we just over the computer now, uh, everyone's getting the hang of it. And um, I think, for me, the hardest part is that we've been divided into teams, so some of uh, my co-workers I haven't seen for a long time and probably won't see them for, I don't know, months, a month or months, we don't know. That's actually the hardest part, I think, to not, you're not going to see um, some of your very close friends. Because, of course, we have to be very, very careful because um, news is important in times like these. So we have to kind of quarantine ourselves and we can't, I mean, my friends that are on the other shift, I can't just go see them after work. That, that would defeat the object, yeah. Exactly. That's why we're sitting out in the wind. Yeah, exactly. Uh, how does your day, personally, how does your day look today? Is there more on, less on? It's all about COVID-19, I assume. Yeah. Actually, we, at the foreign desk, like we have to rely on material from stations around the world. And uh, there is little else than COVID-19 material coming our way these days and so and and that's enough I guess to try and winch out like what what is the important like what is important for people to know about what's happening in the world of course it's impossible to say to tell people about everything that's happening in the whole world but yeah my day is more or less COVID-19 and and trying to also um answer requests from our uh, uh, colleagues around the world. Just to, very quickly in the end, um, I was thinking about this yesterday. This is obviously, without question, the biggest news story in the world of the year, for sure. Is it the biggest news story in the world since the Second World War? Wow, that's really hard for me to say, because, I mean, I've only been a journalist for uh, o over two years, almost three it's really hard for me to say, and also I wasn't born <laughs> until 1985, so maybe you should ask someone I mean, it's very, it, I mean, is it bigger than the moon landing? I don't know. It's different, certainly. Yeah, I guess it's bigger than the moon landing, because it, it affects every single person on Earth. I don't think everyone, well, I mean, a lot of people, of course, around the world were watching the moon landing, but it didn't directly affect the lives of every person in the whole world and you can say the same about most wars as well and 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 all sorts of bad situations this one is touching everybody isn't it yeah exactly so i 
Yeah, it's probably, if not the biggest, at least it's in the top two or three, I guess. All right, well, thank you so much for your time again. Thank you. Okay. Well, that concludes this week's two interviews. The Week in Iceland will be back to roof.is forward slash English or Roof English on Facebook, the Roof app, and of course, your favorite podcast provider next Monday, the 6th of April. We finished today's show with a song from Valdemar, a band that turned 10 years old this last week and celebrated with a concert to nobody at all, although it was broadcast live on Saturday, on Friday evening on Roof 2 and is available to watch on the player. Highly recommended. This song is arguably their biggest hit. It's called Eve Borgena and is the story of someone trying to get home to a loved one during a time of crisis. I wonder why that sounds familiar. Bye for now. En felda fyrir þér Kjóthar minn Veit hvað mér er gott En illa gerð Hættuð götunar La la la